Welcome to the Season 5 commentary for the One More Turn Dramedy over at, you know I'm going to say it, onemoreturn.net. These good people become worse people because the people they hang around are worse people. <laughs> like, great, you went to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. Well, but there's also... a reason it's the lowest common denominator. Uh, yes, and the path of least resistance. There's your commentary uh... title, bless her heart. <laughs> <laughs> or bless your uh... heart, it just has a double meaning to us and the other people. As a writer, personally, it is never, ever more fun than having somebody look at and then comment on your work when you think it's ready to have that done. Like, if you're ready to have somebody look at something you've written, there is nothing better than actually talking to somebody about it. I'm series creator Daniel Quick. I'm also the voice actor for Hudson, and I'm joined by the voice actress for Riley, Magalua. Hi. I am also joined by second assistant producer and voice actor for Max. I had to think about that for a second. I don't know why. <laughs> Dark Cloud. Max is laser removal here. Max speaking. <laughs> and I'm also joined by our announcer for seasons four and five, Candace Albinus. Hello. We are looking again at season five in the latter half of 2016, another season of 13 episodes where there was a lot going on. And from the episode recordings, we referred to it as Friendship is Tragic. <laughs> in previous seasons, you had some characters that were in like 11 episodes, you know? Back in season one, yes, 11 episodes, uh, Riley was in there. But I think since season one, I've tried to have it so that there's more or less a little more or a little less than half that episodes that characters are in, plus trying to make it as meaningful as possible. But now that we do have 10 characters, <laughs> that yes, exactly half of them are in less than half. Mm -hmm. That is true. That's true. And I think that was also, when we were recording the season four commentary, I remember talking about, I think, episode 412 and saying it was my least favorite episode because almost every character was in that episode and it was just kind of a confusing mess to try to have yep. them be meaningful. So I think that was in response to my own uh, criticism. It's like we've got main characters, secondary characters, and kind of tertiary characters, at least in terms of the number of episodes they appear in on their lines, but... Interjectors. The impact, yeah, the impact is great. Reese is a I mean, new character this season, but man, she kicks up a lot of dust. Kind of the outsider looking in, essentially passing judgment on the previous four seasons. You know, the line about, um, this town is tired of being only known by what you guys put under the limelight. <laughs> like, we're a small town, but we're not that small, damn it. <laughs> well, media, you're kind of the problem since you drew a lot of attention to the shit they've been up to. <laughs> I'm amazed about how fast we get them done, to be completely honest, in a two-hour window. Yeah. yeah, we've done much better. This is the fifth time around, so mm -hmm. that has definitely helped. Yeah, we do do less retakes. Oh, we have, we have more bloopers and more yeah. comments in between lines and episodes. We just don't have the... Oh, I screwed up my line. <laughs> yeah, We just do the retakes. Exactly. I'm just surprised that you left it as such a cliffhanger. It's Dan. He does that all the time. He loves cliffhangers. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure I got some comment about it. at the end of season three. It was like, wow, this is so happy-go-lucky. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> and also, oh my well, gosh, are you ending the show? Things don't wrap up this neatly, only at well, the end of a show. 
So I'm going to start with uh, Dark Cloud. What were your first reactions when you read the season five scripts? Well, Dan built in the dislike of Star Trek for Max based on my editing out obscure Star Trek references in previous seasons, I figured. <laughs> oh, yes. After Max told Nora that he'd watch the original series on DVD as kind of a sorry I signed over the mortgage on our building to Avery and Bella. <laughs> Episode 504, yes. That was definitely a uh, very in-joke there. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's an out-joke because we've explained it. Mm-hmm. But, well, there uh, you go, explaining the joke. That's one of the rewards for listening to the uh, season commentary. But what about you, Mackie? I don't think I had much ad. I think this is one of the seasons where we didn't have too many major revisions that I remember. Or at least the differences for me, at least reading so subtle. Other than, uh, Riley, Riley, you're speeding too fast forward with your life again, girl. Slow down. Yes, yes, she has to hurry to fall behind some more. You're right, though. This was the season out of all the five to date that had the fewest rewrites. And, of course, I take that as being the strength of the scripts as opposed to, oh, let's just let Dan have his way already and just oh, move on. <laughs> and, I do uh, think Dan only gave us two weeks to review this time. It was two or three. It was a tighter timeline, and part of that was wanting to have the episodes recorded so I had time to post-produce them and release them in 2016. As it was, there were two weeks where two episodes were released, so the 13 episodes were released over 11 weeks with absolutely no break in between. And a big reason for that was I was busy in the summer taking a qualification course for teaching, so everything kind of got delayed a couple of weeks necessitated in my own mind this kind of crunch so that that way we could have another calendar year where we had two seasons so this was the second calendar year with 26 episodes because we had two seasons of 13 episodes and that was enough in an audio only format with episodes being like six to ten minutes long canis this is not your first season having access to scripts prior to episode release that happened in season four i consider you our first fan you know, other than the people who were actually on the show, and maybe even excluding some people on the show. I don't know. I shouldn't necessarily ask whom. But uh, you had a chance to look over the scripts in addition to stepping up as our announcer last minute in season four and season five due to our previous announcer, Jordan Lund's not being available. So what were your first reactions when you read season five scripts? I was mostly of the opinion that, you know, this has got a few rough spots, but it's pretty dang good considering the tension involved because having a baby is kind of a hard thing to write into a story when you're a guy who's not married or who had kids that was handled pretty well there were a few little mistakes that didn't make it through to the end thank goodness i'm starting to see a lot less of danisms in other characters voices and that's a very good thing which i think kind of goes to how would the voice performer for this character say this line even though this is what I want them to say, I don't want to put it in my words. I can put it in their words, and then it becomes the character's words, because by this point, most of the characters have been around five seasons now. Try to differentiate them. So I'm glad it's coming through in my writing that, yes, as much as a lot of the characters initially started off in terms of their personality and perhaps what they were going for or what they thought they wanted to go for, their objectives in life and their outlook on life, that they sound less like carbon copies of me. Yeah, Dan with different faces. And voices. Yep. Oh, yes, well, I mean, we don't want falsetto Dan. No one wants falsetto Dan. Uh, no, uh. no one wants falsetto Dan. <laughs> Much as falsetto Dan would like to perform, no. My emotional reaction to it was, thank goodness we don't have a cliffhanger, because I hate cliffhangers. <laughs> 
And I do generally like my cliffhanger. It was the least cliffhanger-esque, except for maybe season three. Could have easily wrapped things up in a bow. There was kind of foreboding at the end of season five, but you're right. Nothing immediately left the audience saying, and... All the minor storylines were tied up and only the major ones remained. And that's the way it should be. If you have minor storylines that get wound up in the first five seconds of the next season, it's very cheap feeling. Whereas if it's a long-running arc, it makes a lot more sense to have it a cliffhanger. This comes from my experience of writing long series of stories and such. And of course, as I've said before, I always love asking myself this question. What were my first reactions when I finished reading the scripts? I kind of take this as, what were my reactions as I read the scripts again in preparation for this commentary? What I'm thankful for is I did not see as many things that I felt that I either had to fix in post-production or we had to fix while we were recording the episode itself. I just think, honestly, I need to be a little less specific in the scripts in terms of what I think I'm going to be doing for sound effects. Because as much as I love doing the music, and the music is important in the final product... It's the sound effects that give you the sense of place. It, it can't sound like we're happening in a completely sterile environment. And you take for granted sound and the absence of sound in fiction. And you're supposed to have setting and atmosphere and environment. And I admit, I probably ignored in whole or in part about a quarter of what I'd given myself. <laughs> but I felt like that there was a good mix of who the character was, but also having how the characters said certain things and doing certain things being consistent with what I know of the performer for that person. I'm not thinking, oh, this is what this character would do because this is what their voice performer would do, but this is perhaps how they would say a certain something, or I wrote something knowing that, oh, Dan probably realizes I've said this at some point to him positively or negatively or, you know, just as a complete non sequitur. Oh yeah, Mackie and I have to yell at each other. <laughs> that should be exciting. Oh, Mackie just it only happened it. once. That was accidental, so. Yeah, wow. It was mainly her yelling at me. I don't yes. get much yelling this season. Yeah. That's a shame. Well, that's because you're not part of Gary's will, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I think Bella will have some words about that. <laughs> well, I don't know. We, for all we know, they haven't talked in you know the last two seasons, so it certainly is suggested <laughs> that. True. Yes, and I don't get to argue with Dan today. It's a shame, also. Oh well, I'm sure you can find lots of reasons to argue with me. Otherwise, if you, well, you don't have to try very hard. But... <laughs> yeah. No, you can argue with me about how come you don't get to argue. There you go. See. I found Gosh, an answer Hudson. for you. Dan is Hudson. That's pretty much how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does, it does seem to be the and way. he thinks I'm Bella. That's why he cast me here. Apparently. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> Sometimes hey, I... Yes? I knew she wanted to get involved in this. I did like the uh, Gax, Gary Max name mashup. Uh, oh, yeah, and, Gax and Malup. <laughs> and not so much that one, but <laughs> there seem to be a lot of amusing options in the set. Riley's like, I've already got a dick and an ass for brothers. I don't need... Never mind, I'm going. When she's talking to Nora. <laughs> <laughs> Nora's like, but which is which? Yes, yes. <laughs> Aren't they kind of the same thing? when you're talking about applying them to people. And no, 
based on some other commentaries in the past. No character is getting offed in between seasons. <laughs> I'll continue with you, Canis. Your favorite episode in season five, and why? Probably the one where you have the confrontation between Bella and Hudson, where Caden is like, what the heck's going on here? It's the last episode, it looks like, because Avery's there, too. Oh, okay. All right, so episode 513 answers. The reason I liked that one was because it seemed like there was a lot of subtext that was finally being aired, and those are always very good moments especially when they've been building up for a whole season. So perhaps maybe when Hudson is calling Caden on lie by omission is still a lie, long lost. Yeah, that was yeah. a very good line. Although I think Avery was the best character in that scene just because of the way she was just in the back, just pointing out what was going on and just like, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's get over this. Move on. Come on. And how hurt she was being ignored completely. Yeah, it's true. She was talking and she was trying to contribute to the conversation, but no one else was really conversing with her or giving her any never mind. It really did seem to be more about Bella and Hudson and Caden, and especially Hudson and Caden. All right, so that's a vote for uh, 513. Anyone else have 513 as their favorite episode? I did not. Not me. No. I don't dislike 513. I would put it in the top half. And actually, in my case, I had the most difficult time coming up with a favorite episode. Usually it really stands out for me, but I was close on a couple, so I'll just kind of interject, seeing as how I've already done that. I'm going to give the nod to episode 504, Truth and Dare. We've got Nora taking control. Like, she wants Riley just as quickly out of her presence as she came, when clearly Nora's like, okay, you are here for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that's to hold my hand. It's about me. Except Riley was busy making it about herself. Get out! And then... Asks for Max, even though he'd initially gone to leave town to buy that discounted purple dye in the city. Nora really didn't know if Max was there or not. I kind of got thinking afterwards. So maybe in the moment, either she forgot or she hoped that Max would have realized this isn't where I should be. I should be at the hospital. Of course, that's what Max has done, spending most of his time with Pedro busy typing away on the keyboard. And (laughs) (laughs) it was kind of one of those ways to have Pedro be in the story. He was most active in this season for this way because he was actually in more than one episode and he was driving a lot of what was being said. But, of course, you've got other people saying what it is that he's saying because he's the character that's never heard. But I also wanted to make it realistic. Like, why is he using a computer? So we've got the whole, well, he can't speak because he's been busy yelling at his children and now has no voice. But I also like this episode because it's kind of the beginning of the repair of the relationship between Max and Nora, which was a recurring theme in the season four commentary, which was these two are headed to divorce. And as I had said in the season four commentary, I never wanted it to be that extreme. So I probably went out of my way to have an episode where it seemed that Max and Nora were getting closer to being on the same page, or at the very least not drifting any farther apart. And they're also telling each other something they should have told long ago, which was, as I mentioned already, So, dear, Max says, I kind of signed over the mortgage on our building to Bella and Avery. Not mad, are you? No. And... Then Nora kind of subtly puts in there, well, we're actually not having one baby, it's two. You've got this comedy that's not just supporting, but it's also complementing the drama throughout, which I think is a really nice balance that works well for the series, especially given it's structured to be a dramedy in the first place. It's not my favorite, but it's also a very good episode. Mm Mm-hmm. I will say that my very, very close runner-up, again, the closest I've ever had 
to saying it could be one or the other. The close fall-off would be Heart to Heart, Episode 510. So, Maggie, did you choose 504, 510, 513, or something completely different? Well, I do have to say that 504 had that hilarious bit with Riley and Nora. <laughs> Good go. I was like, really, Riley? It's just exactly how dense are you? How did you ever manage to get a job doing what you do? And then you're just like, but this, but that, but this, and, uh, and yelling. <laughs> oh, the yelling. And I will say as an aside, the comment by Nora about you really know next to nothing about my family, don't you? was not just directed to Riley. It was directed to anybody listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> None of you know nothing. <laughs> Why am I still a bit player? Oh, wait, sorry, that's Caden's words, not me. Never mind, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, I'm looking back through the script and stuff. I'm going to go 507 because <laughs> Riley and Kayla have become that couple you yell at in a TV show. It's like, would you just get together already, you idiots? Like, seriously, she goes over to his house and just walks right in. Here, let me stick the beer out of your fridge. It's like, guys, come on, seriously. What is this just... One of you pull the stick out, the other one slap her some more, maybe, and they'll actually get pulled out or something. <laughs> now, that thing with the going over for the beer, I believe that was later, wasn't it? Ah, uh, I thought it was. Uh, yeah, that was 512. Really? It's all the way down there. The episodes this season where the two of them are yelling at each other like you'd think an actual couple would, as opposed to her going back and forth with the Gary thing, which is like, girl, what are you doing? Okay, now we do have that in 507 as well. I'm just, just the fridge thing specifically comes up in 512. Yeah, I did that. That just stuck in my head because that was like, you're so familiar with it. And it, actually, you know this place well enough, you knew exactly where that was in the fridge. Hey, wait a minute. What do you, what, what, what's been going on? Well, and with 512, you've got the Riley line about, you've got booze here, right? You're not the you know who with the drinking problem, which is exactly the line that Gary had essentially in 413 talking to Caleb about, how come you're not driving? You're not the you know who with the drinking problem. So. We don't know who the originator of that line was, but clearly Gary and Riley have been talking about the proclivities of the You Know Who brothers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure she loves to talk trash about people behind their back. And then she actually does it in public, and that's what gets her in trouble. <sighs> Riley, Riley, Riley. Oh, yeah. So this was the season where Gary calls her Rye. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> that was a 502. Never address me as Rye again. <laughs> That was a very clever pun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're going to get drunk enough if it gets called Rye again. This season, and I'll get to this a little later in one of the questions, but this kind of simmering of the relationship between Caleb and Riley, which is really a relationship neither of them wanted. This is less than what Caleb wanted and clearly more than what Riley wanted because Riley wanted no relationship at all. But they're kind of in this situation <laughs> where they have a relationship and it's almost a relationship because it didn't happen. And so they talk about how it didn't happen, and now that's happening. I do feel like it's been a long time coming, really since season one. And I think that one point, there's <laughs> probably the most emblematic, to borrow a word from the last season that uh, Jennifer Lund used, but being emblematic of the series. In this case, in episode five, actually in 507, where Caleb's like, this is where you want to have it out, huh? And Riley's like, oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Document his foreplay in your damned captain's log. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. And I will say, as part of the air quotes research for this episode, I realized that Star Wars fans don't have a name for themselves. Like in Trekdom, it's like Trekker versus Trekkie. 
and Star Wars is we're just a Star Wars fan. And I couldn't help include that and then have Caleb say, no name can contain the Force. Which <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe Star Wars fans have something there. Rather than coming up with the term, let alone two, and we could have like a nerd fight over, which is you're not supposed to have a nerd fight over what you're talking about. You're supposed to have a nerd fight about the characters and the episodes or the movies, etc., etc. Anyway. <laughs> what about you, DC? Favorite episode of season five and why? Episode 5, the one with Pedro's shorts. Uh, is this because you would like to know more about Pedro's shorts? <laughs> <laughs> would you like this to come up in Season 6? We reveal what pattern, what color. <laughs> yes, they're sort of fascinating. I've got more on it for Question 6, so I'll, uh, <laughs> so I'll oh. obey that till then. But Episode 8, I did like finding out that Max was the youngest brother. But in, like, general Episode 5, just, like, sort of the whole thing, it was just Pedro's shorts was the highlight of it. And his oh. laryngitis. Oh, okay. Okay, that's what I was hoping would be the takeaway, not Pedro can't talk, but man, those shorts, which is also amusing because this is an audio-only show and we can't see the shorts. Exactly. How short are, they? How short are these shorts, Pedro? Wow. And of course, thank you, Mackie, for the song in my head. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> <laughs> you see, kids, there was this song. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Pops. <laughs> if Flower were here, I'd be like, okay, Parasite. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but I, I just can't help but ask, even though it really wasn't part of your favorite episode there, DC, you mentioned 508 and finding out that Max is the youngest brother. Do you think that answers more questions than raises in terms of how Max is? Hmm. Maybe, maybe it sort of depends on the age spread, I would say. I realize it's a flippant answer for question three, which episode is my least favorite and why. I would say episode 12, because uh, Max would have gone with his older brothers to take care of Nax and more, I would figure. <laughs> ah, okay. And of course, we've got Nora explaining in 512 to, of course, ultimately asking Caleb to be the godparent to their children that the brothers live too far away. But given how Max and Nora really haven't spoken to each other that much during the pregnancy... They just kind of speak at each other or about each other with other people. That could be completely Nora's interpretation. As far as we, we know, Nora said, it's not one of your brothers. They live too far away. Like, there was no conversation there. I could see her doing that. But you're right that it is kind of an odd choice, all things considered. And we did say in the recording of the episode, it did seem kind of weird that they were prepared to, of course, ask Gary and Riley to leave. But in the same breath, they were also prepared to say, like, want to look after our kids when we croak? <laughs> yeah, can you guys make up your minds on that? You're not good enough to live in our place, but our kids, well, you know, <laughs> you're good enough. You're good enough for that. Yeah. I sort of wonder at the housing prices in this city. I mean, is it like Vancouver or something? <laughs> no. That's what it sounds like. It kind of sounds like that, but we've established that they live in a town. At least there's the city. Right, because there's the city folk, and that's where Caden comes from, and that's where Avery comes from, and going to the city. So we live in a town. It's never been really defined. What is your least favorite episode, Maggie? Oh, I think it's when he, I think it's in I forget which episode number it is, but it's Hudson and Caden just going back and forth, and it's just like you two are like some weird mirror reflections of each other, and this is kind of well weird. But that's not the right word. <laughs> you know. Thank you. I didn't want to go for full out creepy, but it was it return was to nightmare-ish. Like, 
It was sort of like the Bizarro character from Superman or whatever he's from. Bizarro World, yes, there you go. Are you talking about 508 when Hudson's like still not wanting to accept nurture over nature, Caden? That we could be so different from our very divergent upbringings? Yeah, they're both just so like. He's like, well, you're more passionate than you. It's like, hey, it's like I think I know me. I, I don't think so, dude. <laughs> like, come on, guys. That that it wasn't going anywhere, or that it was just awkward, or we kind of get it already, move on, or I thought yeah, it was that, brilliant. Yeah, no, it was good. It was just slightly weird, as Candace said, bizarre world. I think that was a really good movement because it actually made that character dynamic unique, and that's always a good thing in a story. Was that your least favorite episode as well, Candace? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Um, I didn't think so, but... <laughs> I actually liked that one, but... If you want me to pick a least favorite episode, that would be hard because I don't really have one that I don't like, other than the one with the heavy breathing. Oh, well, <laughs> that, that, that wasn't in this season. And uh, I'll probably reintroduce it into the series when someone doesn't bring it up. Jennifer brought it up in season four, and now Canis has brought it up on this commentary. So no more heavy breathing. Well, I make no promises. Uh, <laughs> Canis is just oh, relieved uh, that I don't have to do the heavy breathing. Uh, <laughs> I don't like heavy breathing from anybody unless they've just run a marathon. I think in the episode I'm signing, it's not that it's a bad episode. It's just... Yeah. I don't know. It's like a six when other ones were sevens and eights and nines. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to be like, I'm sorry, damn it. This episode is only an 8.9. I just, I can't give it a nine out of 10. I just. <laughs> you wish. You wish. <laughs> when you get least favorite episodes, to me, that implies that you're talking about a single thing that happens in a single episode or the writing style present in a single episode that doesn't carry over to the others. And that only happens when there's inconsistent quality of writing. And there is consistent quality of writing in this season. So, you know, it's difficult to pick a bad one because there weren't any bad episodes. I also feel like I want to, well, maybe not the first episode because it's the first episode, but specifically write an episode more poorly than others so I have a proper answer to this question. No. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you have to do worse. Oh, well, I can try to, I can try. It's interesting, though, despite that preface, I had a difficult time really explaining why it was my least favorite, which is kind of odd, right? Because most of the time, if we're talking about things that we dislike completely or dislike the most, we want to go on and on and on about it as opposed to the favorite thing because, well, it should be obvious why it's the favorite. We don't want to talk about the good things. The one that I'm going to cite is episode 506, Overrated, even though the title kind of wrote itself because that's the episode where we find out that Caden likes the word over on the... (laughs) On the recording, people were trying to read that into something between the relationship between Caden and Avery and words behind closed doors. That one is because the ending is not just anticlimactic, but it's cumbersome to me. Like, I had a very difficult time ending that particular episode. Just the one where Hudson's like to Caden, join me in the cafeteria for some grub before we go. I'm curious as to what protein substitute they have on the menu today. And it's just kind of, uh, okay. I thought that was pretty funny. Oh, you did, and I kind of look at it and I think... Protein substitute. That sounds like something that Hudson would say to try and throw somebody off of what's going on. Who is your favorite character in Season 5 and why? I will start. It's interesting because this is the first repeat I've ever had. I've always had a different favorite character, but not this season... This season, like in season three, I'm giving it to Nora. What about Mackie? No, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Nora had a lot to do and had some really hilarious bits in there. 
And it's kind of the focus because of her and the, the babies and stuff. I mean, you know, there's other stuff going on. Nora's the catalyst. Yes. Dark Cloud or Canis, did either of you have Nora as well? That's just sort of surprising because Nora's in the least amount of episodes. I mean, I guess that sort of really speaks to how well those episodes may have been written and her yeah. role in it. It's true. I mean, Nora has four appearances, which is the same as Reese, the new character, Caden in his second season, and Avery in her fourth season. So still, Nora, even though she's been here since the first season, is only at four episodes. So I think that goes to, like you were saying, DC, the quality of the writing, but also the quality of Nora's presence in the episode. It's a lot about her actions for me, but it's also about a lot of what she says and who she says it to and when. Her timing just seems really, really excellent. So I guess the pregnancy has made that much better for her, heightened her senses even more, like she commented last season after the pocket dial for Max and listening to their conversation. And she had all those jabs for her. She seemed a little bit more Nora this season, where when she was criticizing someone, she was doing it constructively, or at least attempting to do it constructively, as opposed to just kind of being nasty. Since Mackie and I are, air quotes, tied for Nora, I'll just say I agree with what you were saying there. Mackie, kind of the catalyst with the children. Again, she took control, her contribution to approving her relationship with Max. It's like, okay, it's going to happen in, like, air quotes, five seconds, but you're going to have two kids instead of one Max. Surprise! Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Although, given how strained their relationship had been at that point since the pregnancy and because of the mother-in-law presence, even though I just found it so humorous to write that they both saw the argument of the other person and came over to the other side, which meant they just switched sides about whether or not the mother should be present or not. Nora's mother should be present or not. And now Max wants her there and Nora doesn't, which it just seems like something they would do. Yes. <laughs> oh, honey, you finally did commit me to your side. Oh, but no, honey, but now I see your side. <laughs> rest of the cast face palm. I'm just waiting for them to see who's more sorry. No, I'm more sorry. No, no. Clearly, well, this is the place in Canada, technically, so... Hey, yes. You've gone five seasons without it. How is that possible? <laughs> well, they're sorry. Because none of these people is ever sorry. They're bad Canadians. Well, I'm, I think some of them at certain times are sorry through their actions, eventually. <laughs> Even if they don't come out and say it at the right time or to the right people. Nora also convinced Caleb to reconnect with Carson while simultaneously complimenting him on his connecting with Max in the previous season, the Heart to Heart episode, which is why I was so close to choosing episode 510 as my favorite episode because it also tied in closely to my favorite character. And this was the episode where she was doing that. But she also did step in in Max's stead and asked Caleb if he would be willing to be their children's godparent. The conversation between Max and Nora was, Max is like, I'm all the way out here. You can go talk to Caleb sooner. Okay. Well, quite frankly, they've waited this long with regards to a godparent. It could wait a little longer for Max to do it, but I think Max was just, I don't want to go through that again because the last time I was getting ready to ask someone, I saw like a relationship blow up in my face. Not that that would happen in this case because he's only talking to one person instead of two. But when Nora turned around and confronted Caden over his arterial motive with Reese and the hurt towards the rest of the cast, yet at the same time, she feels guilty and acknowledges it right away when Caden's like, you know, I'm feeling sorry that I was born. And Nora's like, oh, now, hey, hey, wait a minute, you, you can't do this. No guilt tripping, everyone. Nora was essentially like, you know, Caden, do what you're going to do or do what you're not going to do. 
but treat us as equals. Either you like us or you don't like us. Stop toying with us. We're people just like you. I see your crap. I've had enough of it. And if you try to continue to operate in this way, I'm going to cut you down. Which I also thought was a very maternal instinct kicking in that she's kind of extending over the other characters. Even though I liked her characterization of the town as her home to her husband, children, mother, my friends, Gary and Hudson too. <laughs> so, <laughs> Gary and Hudson too. Which, <laughs> like, <ow. laughs> well, they're here too. So even by extension, like Caden is so bad, she feel, it kind of feels like, well, she would actually intervene if Caden tried to do specifically something to Gary and or Hudson. That's pretty bad. Well, just one more thing about Nora. Might be some of the strength of how she came through this season might also be because in the distribution of how many other characters were in her scenes. So first, she was not in a lot of episodes. However, in the episode she was in, there were very few other people. There were not cluttered episodes. The characters who were in them are able to uh, shine. You're right, I hadn't actually thought of that specifically with Nora, but as you're saying that, looking over the tally, there is no one episode that Nora appeared in that had more than four characters, whereas we maxed out at six characters in episode eight. In previous commentaries, I had cited eight being the most an episode had had, and even after season three, when I commented, gee, it was awfully hard to manage this many characters, I turned around and did it in season four anyway, because I expected a different result by doing the same thing, and therefore... Sure, season know. four, we had the uh, we had the large dinner party. It, it, was, <laughs> it was more about, how do we make it a dinner party from hell? Let's have all of these people try to have a contribution in the episode. Go, go, go. So I guess if I want a sequel to that, I'll just cram like all ten characters into a scene together, which would probably so, uh, implode the whole show. So actually, I mean, I'm just pushing this a little further... So what were people saying was their favorite episode this season? I think, did I hear 12 of someone's or? 13. 13, okay. Okay, okay. 13 had about four people. Yeah. And, and, if and I five, at, which I listed, had only three. Uh, I, li- I liked episode 504, which also had three, followed closely by episode 510, which also had three. Hmm. Interesting. I think you're onto something here. Otherwise, it's the biggest coincidence ever in the history of the show. When there's not 20 people talking, we like it. But 19 is okay. I'm going to make a note of that. 19, okay. 20. <laughs> and then so my answer, which is going to be really quick for a favorite character, was Pedro, um, sort of perennial. Um, I think I answered him <laughs> last season. He's, I mean, he's a running gag. His shtick hasn't gotten old yet. I'm always interested to see how far Dan's going to push it. So Pedro's going to become an apparition. And he's going <laughs> to... Okay, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So we're going to jump the shark next season. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think my favorite character was Hudson. And the reason I think that is because he had a lot more personal things happening in this season. And he didn't seem quite as mechanically awful as he had in earlier seasons. Like, he was always conniving and like that and he still is kind of but he doesn't seem like he's full of through and through evil anymore like he was earlier and i think that's a real growth for him yeah i'm I'm with you there that he kind of continued his character growth that we saw from season four where it was more about doing something for somebody because he cared about them not doing something to somebody because he was caring about himself now oftentimes what he was doing to help somebody else was also helping him incidentally perhaps but it wasn't simply for pushing his own desires his own objectives his own purpose and irrespective of what it was doing to other people around him 
And I will speak more of that when I talk about the highs and lows for my character for this season, because of course I voice Hudson. So if that was your favorite character, Canis, I'll start with you. Least favorite character. I think it's a toss up between Caden and Reese. Not because of their voice actors or anything, but because Caden just, he doesn't feel believable to me. I've known some people who are very dogmatic and precise in their speech, but Caden doesn't sound like that to me. He sounds just a little bit forced. And I don't know if that's because he's trying to seem that way to outsiders or if he is just, I don't know. It's hard for me to make a determination on that because I kind of almost fit his speech pattern sometimes, but they don't feel natural. For Reese, not really sure what I don't like about her other than it seems like she's trying to do something or trying to enact something that we don't have any reason to care for her yet i don't know if she's like trying to be the new villain or if she's just there to stir up trouble but it seems like her storyline wasn't fully developed enough to make her compelling she kind of feels right now like discount avery she's trying to act as if that like oh i'm the all-knowing and i've got you but really she's still like a, an apprentice it could also be that she's kind of an investigative journalist, and I don't really like journalists that much, but that could well, be personal bias. Well, and she has said, hey, I'm not a reporter. I'm a journalist. She sees a distinction between those two. To me, Reese and the comparison to Avery, Avery has and Slash has specific people that she wants to go after in terms of the established cast because she has a personal history with some of them. And now she's got a professional history or a relationship with some, which again, as an aside, Bella and Avery are still united. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Because it makes sense to me that they're still together. In the case of Reese, it's each and every single of the established characters that's here, plus Carson, who, of course, departed in season four. You are all of what's wrong with this town because it's all that anyone knows about this town, which is also kind of a comment to the audience as well. Except, come on, Reese, we also know about the, the cat and the mayor and their affinity for each other. But we really don't know <laughs> we really don't know anything else about the other characters. But also, we find out that Caden and Reese have an affiliation as well. When you were describing you were trying to choose between Caden and Reese, they're kind of intertwined, right? That I think we finally, with Caden, as compared to in the first season, we get a little more sense of the purpose of his presence. But... I don't know what his intention is. Whereas, yeah, I wasn't sure why they were connected at all, other than it seemed like they were working together, but I don't remember if, if it was ever stated why. I mentioned Bit Player earlier. When Caden tells Nora in episode 510 that you and your husband are Bit Players in the grander scheme of our plans for this town, which of course is not just Caden and Reese, but also apparently Pedro as well, it's what is this grander scheme Is it what Reese is saying, which is essentially, we're trying to drive all of you out of this town because as good as you are for each other, (laughs) question mark, that's (laughs) That's a question mark. Part of it, I think, is it's a small town. Who else are they going to talk to? You? (laughs) I don't talk to you. But I'm speaking on behalf of the town and we want you gone. And by the way, you should be afraid because we're going to get to this sort of dough contract business. And it's kind of like, oh, I'm sorry. Season one, two and three called and they'd like you to go there. Like, why, why why is this a thing? And and Hudson, I thought, had a really good line. 
in that respect, where he essentially said, okay, so you're going to cite behavior that's similar to what we've already done, so therefore it's consistent. Judgment has already been passed on that. We've moved on. People have decided whether they like us or they don't. You stirring this up is just you stirring this up, and nobody really cares about it except you. But that it's doesn't, like she's that, decided to pull up and rehash one of those old stories because she thinks there's more dirt and there's not. Maybe that's why I didn't like Reese, because she didn't really have a motive. Like, she's had a stated motive, but it didn't feel like that was her real motive. It seems like she's got something going on that she wants to deal with, but we don't have any idea what it is. She's taking on, essentially, I am passing judgment on the morality of all of you, which is pretty so, hey, sister, Can I tell you what shape to put that in, where to put it? Yeah, because even if for some reason she is the most pious person you have ever known, there's still something that someone could reasonably cite in your past or present based on what you said, what you did, didn't say or didn't do, that makes you not as moral as you claim that these other people should be. Like, it just seems to be an impossible standard that she's holding. And from the perspective of a journalist, like, it's my duty to find this out. Like, I'm going to reveal the truth. The truth will be known. Again, she really doesn't imply much of anything other than her fishing expedition, where she's like, hey, Avery, will you give me this to help me with that? Um, why would I do that? Well, hold that thought. She literally says, like, hold that thought. Bella, would you do the same? No. Oh, okay, well, I'm gone. And then tells Caden, essentially, okay, time to go on to the next plan. So, yeah, we don't know. I think in any season where you're introducing a character for the first time, especially when, you know, she's only in four episodes, it's difficult to have a sense where she's is coming from. But I definitely do get the Caden thing and the Reese thing as well in terms of being a least favorite character. Hopefully in the next season, we'll have a little bit more sense of Reese and that much more about Caden, too. Plus, we'll find out about what this grander scheme is, what the real plan was. I think they're on to Plan C already by the end of the season, like we're going on to the third plan. Whatever it is, it seems like they want to get them out of town, but there doesn't seem to be a real plan, just a desire and kind of the hopes that, hey, I mentioned Doe Contract, get scared. Yeah, that's why I say discount version. Yeah. Like, really? The, yeah, a few seasons ago called and said no. She tries to use it as, oh, well, Carson has already left, and that was a good thing because he should have. You know, he saw the light to leave here, and the rest of you should follow suit. For better or worse, it's like, so you're comparing the rest of us to Carson? But Carson had his own reasons for leaving, which included, but was not limited to, his interactions with these characters in this series. Because there was the whole baggage that, before the series ever even started, which of course has only ever been alluded to ever so slightly. Dark Cloud, your least favorite character. I think I'm going to say the same one as last season, and that would be uh, Max. Still not sure where his arc started last season is going to end up. He appears to be moving towards compromise in a better place, which was mentioned earlier in this commentary, but he's not fully resolved. Hmm. I'm just throwing this out there. Do you think that part of that is because you voice Max? That you kind of have like a more personal connection to him and you want to kind of know already like where he's going and what he's really already about if this if this is his true colors and it's always been his true colors or is this just really kind of a continued deviation from what he really is like uh maybe i liked how he was in the first few seasons as the comic relief happy-go-lucky person i understand that he uh, changed his character arc it's just more of an issue that uh, the character arc's not settled yet been two seasons so far, and so we're going to go into a third season to figure out what's happening, and, and maybe it'll never be settled. He has a little bit of comic relief, but he's now fully in the dramedy part, 
And if he's going to succeed in the drama, he's either going to be a, a cad or good character. I mean, I don't know the exact terms about it, but he's been coming across as a cad last season. And this season, too, he wasn't exactly a, a positive character to sort of elicit positive listener reaction. Gary is clearly a cad. So I think that he's a good character because he's interesting. Max was interesting when he was funny. Now, I just don't know how to feel about Max as a listener. Ah, we've got Max 2.0. We're wondering if Max 2.0 is here to stay. Is this just new father stress now? You know, what's going on here? There is the birth, of course, during the season. And in terms of time past, one point, it is knowledge between Nora and Caleb, I guess he was in episode 510. Caleb's initially kind of walking around eggshells, kind of surprised to see Nora in the shop. And she's like, look, it's been three months. Max and I are kind of settling into our routine or our new routine. And we're getting back to normal or whatever normal is. But of course, I don't know how you can get back to normal when you have You're children Max now. Nora. You're Max and Nora and you have children now and you didn't <laughs> before. Like even if you wanted to return to the old normal, you can't possibly because you have these two infants in your life that rely on you and take up so much of your time and attention, or at least should be taking up a lot of your time and attention. And knowing how Max and Nora are, they're going to be giving those children that attention, help from Max's mother-in-law notwithstanding. A lot of the characters have previously had arcs in terms of goals. So you had, say, Bella's goals and her schemes, and it went in an arc. Bella's still sort of Bella at the end. I think that Max may be going more on a character personality arc, sort of similar to the two brothers. So it's a different kind of character. So there's like script type goals, script arcs, and then there's goal arcs, and there are personality arcs. And I guess I just find the goal arcs a little more interesting. I suppose it's very difficult to do a really good personality arc. I think that a lot of people might like the personality arc that happened. I think maybe when I can see how it ends, maybe I'll see the payoff. It's just that I feel very unsure of what's happening. And I'm not sure that it is ending because a person in real life, their personality arc is never necessarily ending. But this is literature. That's true. I can see where you're coming from making the differentiation between, again, plot and personality and whatever situation they're facing Max has definitely changed, and now is the question is, kind of tying into what Mackie said, post-birth of the children now, is Max going to be closer to the stressed-out version of himself as during the pregnancy, or is it going to be closer to pre-pregnancy Max, which was happy-go-lucky, being there for some comic relief and helping some of the characters not stress out as much, like, hey, Caleb, let's go play a strategy game. Okay, and talk about something that has nothing to do with really what's on your mind right now until your mind has had a chance to sort through what it is it needs to sort through, and you're ready to talk about it. But really, there hasn't been anyone, other than Caleb, to the start with, like, Max and Nora, how are you doing? It seems like Max and Nora still haven't had that conversation with each other. They're busy acting and reacting, and they're not really being particularly reflective at this point. Sure. And I think that hurts Max more than Nora just because of who Max and Nora are. Nora was that person for Max to kind of focus Max, like, think about this. And now Max doesn't have that, and Nora's not even really doing it that much for herself, let alone helping that with Max. So I think it's more jarring with Max because it shifts him that much more. Sure, thank you. And yes, thank you, Maki, for your explanation. I thought it was a good hypothesis. Yeah, it's people that I've known in real life, who are, they're one way right before they even up to the couple of weeks beforehand. And then afterward, it's just like this complete and change. 
you know, and how do they handle this? Nobody handles it exactly the same way. Some people are chill with it. Some people just freak out. So is Max just freaking out or is he character changing? We don't know. My least favorite character is the same character I cited last season. And my least favorite character is Riley. Sorry, Mackie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, she's not my least favorite character, of course, because I actually voice her. But yeah, I agree. Girl has some issues that she needs to work on. She was in eight episodes, when I mentioned about the incorrect tally before, and that's one more than Caleb Hudson and Max. So it's like she's had more opportunities to prove her worth, and instead is a continual liability, whereas Nora had only half the appearances, yet continued to show that while she, why she is an asset. And I'm thinking, Riley, could you at least be a zero, not a negative? No, I guess that's asking <laughs> too much. Let's see, and I, I couldn't help but list these. There's quite a few on the list. Confirmation that she sold her business without consulting Gary in episode 502, because Gary makes a comment, I really wish you would have let me vet those documents before you signed them. I thought you were in a relationship, Riley, but then again, you also spoke up and said, we'd be happy to move in to your townhouse and rent it, uh, <laughs> Max and Nora, before she ever talked to Gary. So I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that when it's dealing with her business and a business that she had before she was ever in a relationship with Gary, that she would make that decision about the business without talking to him and just kind of informs him after the fact what she's done. Which, to me, you're in a relationship with someone that's not something you should be making on your own. Which, in turn, of course, gave Avery access to her stepbrother Hudson's personal information, as in Riley's stepbrother Hudson. Because, again, Riley likes to use the same password for all of her databases. And, <laughs> you know, when you have access to other people's personal information, you should be taking reasonable steps to ensure their privacy as well, because you're the custodian of that information, and choosing the same password for your personal professional database definitely does not follow in sound practice. Even though last season she had been told by Gary, who Avery had told Gary to tell Riley to change her password, which... Having advice come from Avery and that advice being good coming from Avery and not following it is so creepy. She also interjects her opinion on Bella and Hudson's interactions about their relationship while simultaneously offering unsolicited relationship advice to Gary about Bella. Right? He says, you know, Hudson, you're not with Bella anymore, so what she's doing or doesn't do is none of your business. By the way, Gary, you should really talk to her. <laughs> also... In front of other people. Like, that is at least a private conversation. I don't know what their conversation has been about how much of a parental role Riley is supposed to have with Bella, particularly given the not-so-much age difference between the two. Even if you set that aside, there's no ring on the finger. You're not engaged. You're, quote-unquote, just the girlfriend. It's one thing to talk to Bella, but to tell Gary what he should be doing in relationship to his child just seems to be... Not something that you should be doing. She's also not supportive of Nora while she is in labor, and we talked about that. Instead of focusing on how the circumstance was affecting her and Barley's whole, I'm not into personal displays of affection. Apparently a personal display of affection is holding a woman's hand while she's going through labor pains. It's comforting, but it's about Nora. It's not about you. Ha. <sighs> she also gave Caleb a shot for referencing a number of instances in the past and his credibility when called out for being insincere about his relationship with Carson in episode 507 destruction of, or at least the breaking of some public property in the town hospital when she's expressing her anger. She also critiques Max and Nora's financial and parenting planning, the whole conversation about, well, I guess they should have made sure they had enough money before they got pregnant. And <laughs> Forgot they, that one. Aye, aye, aye. And then in the same breath, it's also, well, they really should have anticipated they were going to get a financial windfall so they wouldn't have moved out of their townhouse, but we're here now. 
kind of summative, well, it's only been four months. Let's see where things are in six months. I mean, Max is your landlord, okay? You're subletting it. Max is telling you it's time to go, and your response is, no, that's not good for me. <laughs> Guess what? It's not yeah. about you, girl. It's not about you, girl. <laughs> None of this is about you, Riley. Oh, my God. And then last but not least, and Mac, you already referenced it, barging in on Caleb to complain about Gary's behavior in their relationship. Again, the guy who for three seasons was trying to be that person in the relationship with you. So he's not good enough to be in a relationship, but he's good enough to go complain about the person you chose over him. Awesome plan. (laughs) (laughs) That's episode five. That was a great plan and so endearing. And it's going to make Caleb want to help you so much. Not. She had issues. (laughs) Yeah. Basically gotten very holier than thou. And I don't know if that's Gary's influence, honestly. I mean, some of it's just her, she's a ditz, but some of that, eh, I think this is not the best relationship for her. When Gary tells Caleb, you know, you're still jealous that she chose me, and Caleb's like, no, between her father's death and she was a teenager, and Hudson becoming your legal guardian afterwards, I see now I had no way of competing with those daddy issues. So, <laughs> is that really how yeah. she sees Gary, is like a dad substitute? Like, what do you want the relationship to be? And also, you might want to talk to the other person in the relationship about what they think the relationship could be and should be. Uh, It's just like there are times when you're going to have to take control in the situation and trust that your partner trusts you to make that decision. But these big ticket items like where you're going to live and selling your business, that has serious implications on the relationship. You make those unilaterally and then you complain about when you get a little pushback on that and leave in a huff and a puff. I guess Max should just be relieved that she didn't break down the door when she left. Because she certainly likes to <laughs> kick the way out. Kick away. She actually remembered to open the door. <laughs> and I know Max thought he was being helpful when he told Gary, like, you should go after her. And Gary's like, yes, I should. And I'm thinking, why? You want to go after someone because you think you're going to be able to calm them down or have some kind of rational conversation. That was not the time for rational conversation. They just needed to get away from each other. I felt sorry for Max. In that scene, and he tried to contribute mostly about, you know, my relationship with my wife is pretty good. I should relate to how well we do things, which, of course, given the recent history, is also quite ironic. I don't think that was ten things. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Well, when only... I was going to ask if it was a top ten list at the rate that was going. I'm afraid it's... it's... kind of felt like it. I'm afraid it's, uh, it's two items short of ten, and I was going chronologically in the season. Completely chronologically. Well, was it me, or did Avery and Cade not talk back and forth much? It was a tiny bit there, but it was almost felt like they weren't talking to each other. They were pointed at other they, people. They were talking in the vicinity of each other, to each other, through other people. Intermediary, yeah. Yes. At this point, I'm just a little bit surprised that Caden was able to have the <clears throat> relationship that he had with her last season. <laughs> I think we got some insight because I, I think Avery really likes the word over. Over, over. <laughs> Top no, over, over, over. <laughs> yes. I'm just pretty sure that Caden is probably, you know, an android but fully functioned and programmed in multiple techniques. There you go. I like to also think he has a different voice for his bedroom activities. Oh, God.
can't even believe I'm going to say this. I was hoping we'd have that paradigm shift. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> ew. Taking your uh, words away. You're not using them responsibly. Aw, uh, but I was just about to show you my synergy chart. Uh, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> something, something, I'll show you a chart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will chart you in a minute. Well, they only do one movie a year, I think. Yeah, that's why Dan had to do two this year. Yeah, they had a head start, so Dan had to catch up. Is that why I did two seasons last year as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. No, this is the Sharknado theory. This is... Uh... Conspiracy theories. Seeing how we're talking about Riley, Mackie, what do you think her highs and lows were this season? <laughs> Didn't you just give us an almost top ten list of those? <laughs> Are you saying, Dan, the lows were everything you just said, and now give me 10 seconds and I'll talk about the high? Yeah, uh, there were highs. (laughs) Well, that's why I said high, not highs. uh, Singular. (laughs) (laughs) There was even one? I don't know. I mean, as a listener, some of her dialogue and things are funny, but she has so many issues that she needs to deal with. Caleb issues, Gary issues, what the hell are you actually doing issues? I guess the one high part is that, even though that's not necessarily a high part, is what you're talking about with Nora, where they're there in the delivery room and she's kind of spousing out because, ah, children things and these things and ah, ah, ah. Because it's <laughs> funny, but no, there's not really highs for her this season. I mean, it's funny from the outside, but if you're actually, well, living the life of Riley, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Thinking of the first reactions question, I was expecting the following to come up and I've kind of saved it. Uh, to this point, because it features Riley prominently, although I alluded to it briefly. The whole slap fest, which was really the first time we've got physical contact that was not friendly. <laughs> I would say her high was, well, first off, if I was going to add kind of a low is Hudson slapped you, which was... High point, you slapped him back. <laughs> yes, high point, you slapped him back. And she did not do that just because Hudson slapped her. He waited for Hudson to go after Caleb, which was, can't fight your own battles now that your baby brother moved on so he could drink himself stupid in peace, which was a low, low blow. Like, to me, that was, like, the low point for Hudson's, like... That was down in the swamp, man. Yeah. But because it was happening in a public place, there was, even though it's not on the script, I had it so that people in the lobby of the hospital started picking up on the conversation at that point saw her smack Hudson, and then you got the cheers in the background from people other than the main characters. I decided to add that in post-production, which also kind of led to Gary's comment about, like, sorry, folks, my bad, when he implied that every one of them was his child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I did like that. Oh, I shouldn't have been brought up who was getting what in the will in a public place, but if you're going to have an argument come to blows, a better place to have it than a hospital, huh? (laughs) And then, of course, given the fact that we're talking <laughs> in part about Riley, it's his partner, but then imply that he's a child. And then, of course, we get the whole Gary's comment. Well, I, you know, I wouldn't have had to say that because if you were my child, you wouldn't have acted that way. To which the comment is, how would you know how your child acts? You haven't talked to her in two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what do you know about how children act, dude? We found a high for Riley. Okay, good. <laughs> Slap back. Not just for me, because you just insulted too many people in one sentence. She is a very comical character, though, just because of how derp. Yes, I know. 
It's like, oh, sweetheart, I love you, but pat, pat, pat on the head. You're so stupid sometimes. Bless her heart. Yes, exactly. <laughs> As Uber exactly. would say. <sighs> what do you think the highs and lows were for Max this season, DC? Well, it can't be good that Riley smashed up our shop. <laughs> she continues to have anger issues, and I think Caleb makes that comment in the hospital. Roughing up Max and Nora's shop not substantial enough to top your highlight reel? Yeah, yeah from episode 507. <laughs> and then as far as highs, I guess finding out uh, he knows about the twins before his mother-in-law does. <laughs> oh, yes, and Riley's comment like, well, you know, your mother-in-law doesn't know. And at the moment, <laughs> Max probably thought, score! <laughs> for my character, for Hudson, his highs and lows. You know what, I'm going to start with the lows. Reacting with threat of violence against Caleb in episode 503. Oh, yes, yeah, strike me, you buffoon. You're looking to gamble with more than just your money. Yeah, okay, Caleb slapped him. But Caleb was doing that because Hudson had slapped Riley. And yeah, Hudson had reason to be upset, but to slap her and in that environment too. Like, no, no, that was... No, no, over no, the line. That is escalating the situation. Elsewise, he makes light of Carson's alcoholism to Caleb while simultaneously stating that he is unable to fend for himself, which of course led to his emotions uh, controlled by slapping Riley. Those were the only lows that I had for him, although it was kind of a high or low depending upon how you looked at it. He looks to get the documents about biological parents provided by Riley, vetted by Bella, right, that said that, hey, like you and this Caden guy are biologically related. So he goes to Bella, which is a good choice as a high because she's a competent lawyer, but this is also his ex several times over, who he had just, at the end of the previous season, dismissed from his home because she had made disparaging comments about his family and now calls her up and kind of backpedals, right, that he'd overreacted in doing so and said, by the way, even though you made these bad comments about my family, I think I have other family that's biological. Can you vet these documents? Why? What are you doing? <laughs> Why don't you talk to, I don't know, your sister's partner, who is also a lawyer, and for whom you had not just thrown out <laughs> of your home. I mean, you had a closer relationship with Bella than Gary, obviously, and thankfully in certain respects. But your relationship with Gary, oddly enough, is better. It's kind of a weird thing to say that, yeah, my relationship with my ex's father is better than my relationship with my ex. Kind of like if you have no more relationship with this individual then, by extension, the family relationship, like, that just kind of goes into the background, or at the very least, it's very awkward. But they're both lawyers, and you know that. Pretty certain that Gary is also the lawyer for the business that you are in with your sister, who, again, is also in a relationship with this person. So, I don't know what that was about. Good intent, bad execution there. He confronted Caden over this altruistic facade when Caden is talking about the possibility of Hudson meeting his biological parents, his parents as a threat to him. Caden seems like pushing that away and Hudson's kind of pushing the point. You don't want to have a DNA test. You don't want it to be confirmed because whether it's financial support, emotional support or whatever, you just see my taking, my being of course Hudson, taking a part of what you have and it's always been yours and only yours. Because we definitely got that Caden was raised as an only child and was told, you are our only child. And then lo and behold, he finds out. Yeah, which I think a lot of the series is dealing with Hudson's reaction. At that point, mostly because Hudson's been on the scene since before that revelation came about. 
And that's really why Caden is here in the first place and starts associating with these people, you know, with the exception of Avery, but has any kind of connection to Hudson and then by extension, Riley, because last season Hudson's, hey, you know what, Caden, like I'm your brother, but I also have a stepsister, so here, she's your stepsister too. So now you've got two siblings in your family and it's like, pardon? Like that's very jarring for everyone. Hudson is also cautiously pessimistic about Reese's intentions from the outset when he questions the purpose and intent of her presence in episode 509, essentially like, I'm sorry, why are you here? And he's also very difficult with the questions, although I did enjoy the one exchange. Clearly, Hudson doesn't know his history. When Reese makes the comment, like, is this Abbott and Costello? And Hudson's like, no, it's King and Maine. <laughs> like, there's no streets named Abbott and Costello in this town. He does not pick up on that reference at all. But speaking of references, he does pick up on clues pointing to Caden's relationship with Pedro, subtle as they are on their own, and also then informs Caden that he is not the gatekeeper of whether or not he will meet their parents in episode 513, which was, of course, was the end of the season, punctuated with, like, you know, without you. Which is true. Hudson has all the information he needs and has every right to go to them directly and have absolutely nothing to do with Caden whatsoever, because it's not about Caden. Canis, and I'd put in the comments... You know, if you voice a character, go with your own. If you do not, then go with one of your choice. Did you have a character or even characters in mind? Are there highs and lows, or maybe the highs of one character and the lows of another? Well, my favorite character was Hudson, and you've already thoroughly covered him. So I'll go with Reese, just because there's less to choose from, and, you know, reasons. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Reese didn't really have a high point, because she was always either backpedaling or trying to deadpan something that nobody else cared about. And she didn't really make any inroads in what was going on. So she was kind of ineffectual in that way. She kind of seemed like the vulture just waiting to pick on whatever was going to fall into her lap. But she never made it to that point because she kept getting rebuffed. Yes. Yes, that's true. She seemed very adaptable. Like, let's go to this plan. Let's go to this plan, Caden. No, no, that didn't work. Let's go to that plan, Caden. No, no. (laughs) That didn't work. Okay, I mean, she's persistent, that's for sure. Yes. I don't know whether I would consider her an effective, what would you call it, improviser, because it seems like she has all these things pre-planned. But at the same time, how would you have all that stuff planned out unless you had prior knowledge of events? So I'm going to assume that she's probably an improviser and she's using code words to mention plans of basic things. I don't know. I I think it's fair to say that there's conversations that she and Caden have had before we ever met Reese, otherwise, quote-unquote, off-camera, about this is what they're going to do, this is what they're going to try to do. We kind of got a little bit of that with the first plan, where Reese is talking about isolating these people, but then after that, it's just, okay, go ahead and do this plan now, or no, oh, go ahead and do that plan now. So you're right, we as the audience are not privy to what those plans were, and really why those plans exist in the first place, quite honestly. Other than just to be, what's that term, agent provocateur? What is your real intention of being here? Like, why are you quote-unquote picking on these people, even though we all know the flaws of these people? And certainly the whole door contract business was not their finest hour, but that hour came and went, and so did the day that it was on, and arguably the month and year that happened, too. And here you are, picking at this thing like there's anything left to pick at. Beating a dead horse. Uh Uh-huh. Even the skeleton of the dead horse. The skeleton has started to disintegrate and she's trying to crazy glue it back together or something. 
It almost seems like she thinks there might be something worse than the Doe contract underneath it. Yeah, I can see that. We haven't really gotten to the full ugly truth, and what we thought was ugly about the Doe contract is only unpleasant in comparison. Yeah, that seems like that could be what her motivation is, but in terms of higher low points, she didn't really display much in the way of that. Her character is not developed enough to really know for sure. And that's just because she hasn't been in enough episodes and we haven't seen her do anything. I think her lowest point was where she was like, uh, okay, forget that. Um, hold on a minute. That kind of section where she's trying to get something done, but she keeps changing her mind halfway through. I think you're talking about, and it was alluded to before episode 505, for reasons like Avery, will you provide me with the draft copies of the Doe contract that Carson wrote on? Well, Return Solutions was in negotiation with Fortuna Works over it. Avery's like, for what? Hold that threat. Bella. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I pick a point. Bella's like, why would I do this? Where essentially Bella is asked for copies of the Doe contract that Gary drew up. And Reese is like, well, you two sharing sentiments. How unsurprising given your quite bluntly unholy alliance. So (laughs) you know that those two are in business together. (laughs) Why would you ask that in each other's presence? Like if if you're going to ask one of them to betray the other. You don't do it when they're both in the same room. <laughs> yes, would you like to backstab your partner in their presence? Uh, exactly. Only what? if I can backstab you at the same time, maybe? Uh-oh. Yeah, only if I have two daggers to backstab both. There's her problem. She didn't say please. And she's in Canada. She should have known better. Oh, well, now it's too late now. <laughs> yeah, she didn't spec into dual wielding. That was her problem. <laughs> The execution of that, and it's also, you can't blame Caden for this, because that was your action. I also got the impression that Reese is driving this more than Caden. Other than, (laughs) Caden drives the technical part of the conversation with the whole over business, but it's Reese that's telling Caden, okay, we're going on to this now. Oh, we're going on to that now. Yeah. And, And it talks about an existing relationship, and it's so before you ever had that interview with Avery, were you and Reese already working together? When did that relationship begin? How did it, in fact, begin? Although Nora, as part of Caden's thing about, uh, like, in the place of business, remember that about how it's not surprising that you're meeting me in my place of business because that's what you do, because you did that with Riley, you did that with Avery, that's what you seem to do. You like to meet strange women in the place of business. Caden's just kind of like, oh, I don't know how to respond to that. Well, yeah, Caden seems like he really needs some kind of help. I don't know what kind of help would be most beneficial to him, but it seems like there are several disciplines where he could use therapy. And I think he's starting to recognize that to the point of telling other people, because he does tell Nora, like, I feel guilty for being born. That kind of passing comment as I'm leaving. And then Nora's like, oh, hey, wait a minute. I didn't know anything about that. I kind of feel guilty about what I said, even though based on what I knew at the time that I said it, everything was fine. And then he leaves. If that wasn't a cry for help, that was kind of a moment where he dropped his guard, let something slip. Given that he told Nora, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last we've heard about it. I don't know what Nora would do with that information, or it's going to come up otherwise again. But you're right that Caden seems lost without... Some kind of action. I'm not just going to be with these people because I know these people and I either want to have fun with them or I want to do business with them, but this is my plan. And I know I'm going to be successful when at the end of this I've had this interaction and this interaction and that interaction on this timeline. 
And when that doesn't happen, he's like lost. He's like a computer program. He's like he's like in a loop, an infinite loop. Doesn't know what to do. He crashes. Crash. Crash your desktop. It's all over. Based on that line, and without going into too much personal details, been in a situation similar to that, I would say that's a definite cry for help. When you're in a situation where you can't adapt and you're hurting a lot and you just don't know what to do, you don't know how to cry out for help. And sometimes all you can manage to do is just say one thing that you hope somebody will notice. I've had experiences like that personally, and a couple of my friends have also had issues like that. So that's my um, life experience telling me what I think he was trying to do. And despite his comment that Nora and Max, and telling to Nora's face, you know, again, this bit player comment, even if it is true, that's pretty cold. And I mean, Caden is generally a cold and detached person emotionally anyway, but I kind of felt like an added chill when he's saying that line and telling Nora that. That despite saying that, he makes the comment about, like, I feel guilty for being born. Where to that point, everything was just a matter of fact. Oh, let's get this document vetted by the lawyer to confirm that this is factually true. The biological offspring from my parents as well. Yet at the same time, there's also that disconnect about not wanting a DNA test. And it's like, you want to go to the one you know legal respect, but you don't want to kind of go to this other route with this legal respect, and you want to have a relationship with everyone else in the cast, but yet you're also being very confrontational. Whether that's going to make him a more sympathetic character or just a more complex character to be annoyed at and with, I guess time will tell in Season 6 and beyond. I think he has a lot of potential as a character, just because that storyline is sensitive to a lot of people, but it also has the most potential for growth. You can either make him a very morose character, or he can become a very sympathetic, emotional lamppost for everybody to come to and be helpful with. Depends on the way you want to take him. From the plot developments this season, what do you think the highs and lows were? Hmm. Well, Max and Nora patching things up, as we discussed before, is a good thing. Riley taking a turn off into what the beep bill is not a good thing. <laughs> Agreed. I don't know. There's all sorts of moving parts going on here right now. That's like it's stuff that may or may not come to fruition or not, especially things that have to do with Reese and Caden. There's a lot of romantic subtext that is building between certain characters. And I think it's partially good. There are certain things that need to be broken, like, Riley and Gary, that just needs to end, but while it was happening, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's quite an amusing train wreck. But I think you have support from Mackie on both the train wreck characterization and this needs to end already. <laughs> but at the same time, Caleb and Riley, the one scene they have, they're basically doing it without their clothes off. That's basically what they're doing. And so there's the line about foreplay in there because it pretty much was. That's what they were doing, yes. And I think that needs to be explored, but I don't know if that would go much better because they're quite similar in the way that their personal reactions towards each other are at this point. They're not exactly interested in each other, but they're both very sarcastic, very snarky, and they're very, um, what's the word, confrontational maybe? Or maybe neither of them take things very seriously. I feel like there is something there that needs to be explored, but I don't know how well it would go. 
I think that's fair, especially about the not taking things seriously, because we've got Caleb and his one-liners, including, of course, the requisite no Caleb. No Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> At uh, least one episode per season. <laughs> oh, yes, where Mac, the telephone about Caden's uh, cell phone ringing, and Max is like, he could have at least set it to vibrate, and Caleb's like, heh, vibrate. No, uh, Caleb. So there's that not taking things seriously, which is kind of to me like the lighter hearted not taking things seriously, where we've got the Riley more serious not not taking things seriously, as in, I'm going to sell my business without talking to my partner. Hmm. Really? That plus the confrontation, like you said, they can't seem to help one or the other person saying something or doing something or saying something in a certain way that seems to be directed to them. Or even if they're not talking about them, seemingly, even if it's directed to someone else and they're in the room, and it's just kind of like, oh, like, what's that supposed to mean? And then they kind of take control of the scene for that moment, and they kind of have it out, <laughs> you know, and not in that yeah. way, but and everything but that way. It happens again and again and again, and it just seems to be getting, air quotes, worse and worse, or at the very least more frequent. The farther away they seem to be getting from each other, the closer they seem to be. The farther they are away from each other, where both of them are recognizing, no, we're not going to be in a relationship. This isn't going to work. Caleb's constant correcting people of past tense, I was courting her. Courted, not courting. We kind of saw that in season four as well. Past tense, again. I kind of begin to wonder, is Riley upset not because she's not with Caleb, but because Caleb has stopped trying to get with her? That sounds very Riley to me. That sounds like something she would be upset about, because she's very high on herself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She has a much higher opinion of herself than she needs to sometimes. That's why I was getting at earlier with the holier-than-thou bit. She's quite a bit of a narcissist, and a narcissist doesn't like to realize that they're not the center of somebody's affection. Not the center of your fantasies anymore? Something's wrong with you. (laughs) And I'm going to make you know that there's something wrong with you, and I'm going to beat it into your head until you finally see the right thing. And not realize that I'm destroying myself in the process. Sounds about right for her. The other high point was in episode 13 where you finally get this revelation of, oh, that's what's going on here. Where they finally realize, oh, we've been had. That was a good scene because it wrapped up enough things that it was satisfactory to the person who wanted closure for the season. But it was also open-ended enough that there's still room for more which I always think is a very good thing. Low points? I don't know. Poor plot development. It's a very subjective thing, especially if it's an incomplete story. It's hard to know whether something is net good or net bad. Mm-hmm. But if I had to pick, I think it's the recent Caden conspiracy, whatever it may be, just because we don't know anything about it, what their actual motive is. Like, we have their stated motive, but I still think there's something going on that they haven't told us. To that, although this jumps in part to my answers about the audience takeaway for the season, the hope that the audience takeaway was that while the character of Reese has made their purpose and their intention clear, not necessarily the reason, the purpose of Caden's presence in the lives of the other characters is clearer, but his intention... Now that it's stated that he indeed has one, this grander scheme, plans for this town, is foreboding, but while it's also not understood, also thanks in part to Reese. What I'm hearing from you, Candice, is that that plot line about Caden doesn't fit with the enough to satisfy 
the audience for resolution while keeping it also somewhat open-ended for another season, that there's just not enough answers. It's kind of like an irritating itch. You yeah. scratch it, and it's still not, it's not satisfying. I don't feel like I'm any farther ahead at the end of the season than I was at the beginning of the season when this scheming started to become apparent. Yeah, and that's why I say it's a subjective thing, because that has the potential to develop into a very interesting plot, but right now it's just not there yet. And because it's an episodic, incomplete story, you can't know that until it reaches its final season and such. We need some kind of meaningful movement. It doesn't mean that we have all of the answers, but we need a few more pieces of the puzzle revealed. So it's enough to know that this is something and what that something is, as opposed to it just being a bit of nonsense and background noise. Right. Fair enough. Uh, kind of already touched on a lot of the stuff. Admittedly, in terms of the highs and lows, either in answer to this question from everyone else or in previous questions, I'm going to put right at start at the top, and I did actually rank these in order, not that it is a top 10. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually, there's 11 items on this list, but I kind of grouped them into high, low, and then a high slash low, which kind of goes to a recurring comment from you, Candice, about, well, this is either a good thing or a bad thing, depending upon your perspective and kind of where it goes from here. Well, there's Don't a quote. you dare rhyme off a top 10 list now. oh yes yes yeah did you enjoy that in fact that i made it that riley is the one who does the top 10 lists (laughs) yes that was amusing she's learned bad habits from her brother (laughs) oh that's in mackie's head as canon (laughs) you got it from somewhere no i specifically want to write in season six so that's wrong uh but anyway I'm telling the writer too much. Uh, We've got at least a meaningful measure of reconciliation between Max and Nora. Talked about that at length. We've got Caleb's acceptance nearing the point of resignation over his previous efforts to court Riley, episodes 502 and 506. I saw that as a high for Caleb. Obviously not in Riley's world, but that's, you know, Riley's world. We've got the birth of Max and Nora's children, Mora and Nax. That was a highlight, if nothing other than, we heard the first about this at the end of season three. She's not still pregnant, is she? No, she gave birth. You're certain, because at the end of season four, she was on the way to the hospital, and I felt like if we got to the end of season five, and she still hadn't given birth, there was going to be some questions about that. <laughs> it would be a very long birth. Caden's affinity for using over and telecommunications only because it was so obnoxious, it was humorous. And also, also as a high... And we haven't talked as much about Bella and Avery this season as perhaps any of the other characters. But Bella telling Reese that Caden is Hudson's full biological brother. And the reason Bella does that is because Avery tricked Max into thinking Pedro cheated during their multiplayer match. There was that sliver of, oh my gosh, Bella recognized that this wasn't a good thing to trick Max into getting Max to sign over the mortgage on his building to their company because of this information that he was going to give them evidence for when it was a complete fabrication. We didn't hear that Max used that information to take any action in any way, but if he had, then Max was going to look at least like the fool because it was a falsehood. And, you know, you're telling someone they cheated. You know, when it comes to defamation defenses, truth is your first and best defense, but when it's an outright lie, that has a major basis for defamation and libel. So the fact that Bella recognized that's bad, and I'm going to punish you, and I'm going to make this punishment very purposeful by telling this nosy journalist 
that, hey, did you know that the person that <laughs> Avery is sleeping with is the full biological brother of Hudson? Because then Avery's like, that ties me to Hudson almost as much as Caden. Reese, in particular, wants Hudson out of the town and Riley out of the town. And Bella's like, yeah, and? Even though we're in a partnership here, I think you really should have talked to me. <laughs> Just like, you know, Riley, you really should be talking to Gary more about what you're doing in your personal relationship and the professional relationship. Clearly, that wasn't something that Bella or Avery had talked about. And perhaps the reason that Avery didn't mention it to Bella is because she knew Bella wouldn't approve of it, so she went ahead and did it anyway. Maybe I was the only one that picked up on that, but I, I thought that that was a good high for well, Bella. Well, you wrote it, so um, you would pick <laughs> yeah, up on that. You would, yeah, thank you. But that does make sense now that you point it out. It seems like this entire cast has problems with communication. Like, <laughs> like you could write a doctoral <laughs> thesis on the ways these people have not communicated what needs to be communicated. Yeah, they are all over the place when it comes to communication, and usually not in the good. That was episode 505. Low, I only had a couple of lows. Specifically, Riley, then Caleb letting their history lead to a loud argument. You guys are still stuck on this. Again, I mentioned this before. Caden dissing Max and Nora as bit players. I mean, yes, it was really bad when Hudson made light of Carson's alcoholism. Even though it was negative, it was kind of, well, it is Hudson. Not that it justifies it, but it kind of is consistent with his character. We we, we didn't expect better from Hudson, basically. <laughs> yeah. And we kind of don't know what to expect from Caden, but he seems to be be a very kind of measured, methodical individual. You're bit players. Like, right to their face. And then, of course, in that moment, I think, oh, so you are related to Hudson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then the kind of the high-slash-low thing, there's apparent power differential in Avery and Bella's partnership. It seems that Bella is checking in with Avery for reporting and seeming approval. Episode 501, you know, which is like she walks in and just starts talking to Avery about, well, I've got this and that, but I think I've got kind of an insta with one more turn solutions because Hudson's asked me to do this. And then there's the, oh, she's in my chair. Why is she in my chair? And I felt that that was kind of a symbolic gesture of the power differential because Avery allows Reese to sit in Bella's chair in her absence. And the reason given is... Oh, well, according to Reese, you have this previous relationship, and according to Reese, you wouldn't mind. <laughs> what? And then Bella rightly says, what about my past relationships? And even begin to think that I would find that acceptable. Or quite frankly, why would you take this person who you don't know's word for it, that A, you have a past relationship, and B, that Bella wouldn't mind her sitting in her chair, but at the same time, what about you, Avery? You're the other adult in the room. It's also your business. You're okay with allowing this person to essentially telling you that they're going to go ahead and sit in the chair because your partner would find it acceptable? Kind of felt like Avery didn't care that if it was truthful, then it was truthful and it was fine. But if it was not truthful, then it would annoy Bella when she came back and either way win. Like, I feel like Avery's still keeping score. Even though they're working together, like, which one of us is still the bigger such and such. <laughs> Who's the alpha? Yes. I feel like that would be something that neither of them would be able to let go of, keeping score on each other. True. Why, at least in action, even if she's not thinking it, that Bella's kind of letting it happen because it was Bella that bought into Avery's business as opposed to the other way around. We also know that Bella tried to get back with 
Acme Smith to get employed with them again after being terminated before, but was really insistent on being a lawyer, like not just a legal consultant, and that went nowhere. So you combine that with the fact that Carson had rejected her outright, that, oh, well, this is where I've been able to land, and this is Avery's business, so I'm at least going to let her think that she has the power differential, which I think is partially supported by the fact that, again, she discloses Hudson and Caden's full biological connection to Reese at, from Avery's perspective, the worst possible time. We also have Reese informing the existing cast of characters that she is willing and able to see that the Doe contract business is neither forgotten or let go without consequence. So there might be some in our audience that think that's good. I didn't like that these characters just kind of moved on from it. I want to see that come back and be properly resolved and there be consequences in particular or maybe rewards for some people as well. We also talked about the slap fest, although I also did enjoy the part of that where essentially Pedro slaps Max because Max asks someone to slap him because he's feeling particularly guilty um, <laughs> at, at how he's been behaving, not only with Nora, but to everyone else as well. So I saw that as, a, as another measure of uh, personal growth for Max in particular. Heck, I would even say Max did a better job with the reconciliation of their behavior than Nora did. I mean, Nora's improved particularly towards Caleb, but that was specifically to Caleb and Caleb's situation. There really wasn't the Nora equivalent to, sorry I've been behaving this way and I think I've been impacting on everybody else. My bad. Although maybe it's just better that Nora just acts on that rather than just apologizing and thinking that's air quote good enough. But last but not least, as a high and low, and it's already been mentioned how kind of Pedro is in the story more than ever. As I said, I tried to find some kind of device that was humorous but also believable as to why he could be in the scene and talking to them without really talking. And I just enjoyed the voice that Pedro's directing the exposition of Max, so that Max either isn't talking to himself, or isn't talking to someone on the phone, or through voice internet protocol, and we can't hear what that other person is saying. He's actually talking to someone else, and Pedro also prompts Gary to help everyone else kind of refocus the conversation and move it forward. All right. Did season five meet, exceed, or fall short of your expectations and why? I think that uh, I enjoyed it more than season four, at least reading through it. Exceed. I think we have explained why, or I have explained why, there wasn't really anything that I felt was like super negative from a plot perspective. I mean, there were bad things that people did, but it made sense because that's what the characters would do. I liked it. I thought it was very good and was better than I was expecting. Wonderful. I think exceed. It was one of those things where reading it sometimes, I wasn't sure how things would work out. Then once it actually got read out, it's like, okay, yes, 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 that works. It wasn't, man, this reads so well. I hope we don't screw it up when we record it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, Dan, sorry. Season five exceeded my expectations as well. Part of that is because in the back of my mind, even though it was quote unquote only about two characters, the recurring theme about Max and Nora they become really terrible people. They're awful to each other. They're headed for divorce. This beautiful relationship is kind of starting to go down the drain. The other reason, well, actually two, we're drawing greater attention to conflicts that were once simmering and kind of touched on this because we've either got the intensifying with the Caden and Hudson or we've got the explosive <laughs> Gary and Riley relationship. But I also feel like we've got a clearer, not clear, but we've got a clearer line of allegiance I see this as Caden and Reese, and I put with Pedro, (laughs) 
we've got Avery and Bella, we've got Caleb, Max and Nora, and we've got Gary Hudson and Riley. And sometimes when I say those allegiances, not necessarily by choice or preference, but perhaps more than just by circumstance. <laughs> but we've kind of got these four groups that are distinct enough. And I guess allegiance is varying degrees of allegiance, shall we say, either personal, professional, or <clears throat> a combination of the two. If Caleb and Riley get together, is it Kylie? <laughs> Minogue? What? <laughs> I kind of actually hoping they don't get together. I know that kind of sounds weird, but part of it is just if they do get together, then we're going to miss out on all of this. All the snark? <laughs> yeah. And I'm also wondering, are those two being together, are they going to follow the path that essentially Bella and Hudson went down? Which is, they're not good together. I don't know about this being friends part that apparently, you know, Bella and Hudson have kind of alluded to. I don't think that works either. Maybe we can call them that just based on their current relationship. They don't actually have to get together to come up with a name about being together. I like this idea. Just Kylie. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Kylie. <laughs> I think it's better that they don't get together also because uh, it wouldn't go well. And I think one of them has to be smart enough to know that. Probably Caleb at this point. I was going to say, it's not Riley. <laughs> I'm dissing my own character here. I think all the more reason for them not to get together is because Riley has been with Gary already. Yeah. I think even before Gary, it was questionable just given the way she treated Caleb. As aggressive and occasionally juvenile as he could be, Riley didn't handle that well. I kind of also wonder if Caleb found himself in another relationship if Riley would try to interfere with that, because, like, I can't have this guy, but no one else can have him either. No, oh, boy. I seem to, I kind of sense that. But also, I don't know why Caleb would agree to it when he knows how Gary's been treated. We don't know if Riley's had a relationship before this. There hasn't even been an allusion to it. But, man, to me, it has the chance to be even worse than Bella and Hudson, and that's saying something. <laughs> I think Riley now. would think that Caleb is too young, maybe. If she's got a daddy issue. There is that, too. She's still got to work on that. I think Riley comes by that honestly, losing her parents when she did, and then suddenly, hey, your stepbrother becomes your legal guardian. Like, I must admit, that does sound confusing on multiple levels. Although that's understandable, it doesn't justify the way Riley has been behaving, particularly when, for multiple characters on multiple occasions, it's been pointed out, you're being a shit. (laughs) Who's a bitch? Who's a bitch? And her response is, actually, you're a shit for saying that I'm being a shit. I had oh. thought of this before, but it's almost like Riley is worse than Bella, because at least Bella is honest about it. Yeah. I know there was the comment last season, Blarfackle, and said that I don't think Bella has the capacity for introspection. And my response was, Bella has the capacity but chooses not to. And I'm not certain Riley is the one that has the capacity for that. (laughs) And she certainly has no desire to even try. It's bad enough to not take advice of other people, but then giving out advice and not very good advice, and the way you give out the advice and the timing, like, it's just all, all so wrong. Although I must also admit that when I started writing this and I was thinking about the characters initially in my mind, I never thought I'd get to the point where I said that Riley would be my least favorite character.
hopes for the audience takeaways from this season. I'll start with this one. That the absence of Carson has drawn some characters closer together and others farther apart, either directly, so Caleb to Max and Nora, closer. Hmm. Interestingly enough, Caleb has been asked to be the godparent to Max and Nora's children, but we do not know what his answer is yet, or indirectly, as a result of Carson's absence, where farther apart is Gary and Riley, because I felt like occasionally Carson would be the one, and I think even in season four, kind of said, well, you know, Gary, such and such and such of this, and Riley, be such and such of that, and it kind of helped point out certain things in the relationship and to get them to kind of go, huh, you're right, but Carson's not there to do that now. So essentially that the absence of Carson is felt, and sometimes it's mentioned specifically, such as Nora's like, hmm, have you talked to your brother yet? Nah, nah, we don't need to have that heart-to-heart. Yes, you do need to have that heart-to-heart. And of course, the whole reason why apparently Caleb has finally won over to Car Carson is because Nora threatens to raise their children as mobile gamers. Which, <laughs> after all the other conversation, is like, <gasps> that's a thing worse than death. I will talk to him yesterday already. Also, from takeaways, again, I already talked about the character of Reese and Kate, and I jumped ahead. Max and Nora's relationship, my final word on that is, look, their relationship is not just salvageable, but it's still carrying the capacity to be endearing. I don't think they're back to where they were in seasons one to three. I don't even think that would be reasonable, even if they had continued to be endearing during the pregnancy, because the children are here, and things are different now, and they're still trying to sort that out. Ultimately, that while the lines of allegiances are clearer, as I identified with response to the previous question, to what degrees they are willing to work with or distance themselves from each other, it's not faded. In other words, oh, well, clearly Caleb, Max, and Nora are going to be working with Gary Hudson and Riley, and they're always going to be working together, and it's going to be in line, and it's going to be to this degree, and this, that, and the other thing. Because not only is life not that simple, but to me that would make this dramedy too simple. It's kind of that line as a writer, and I know, Candice, you can appreciate this in particular in your own writing, that you want it to be believable, but not predictable. And sometimes that's hard to do. And you recognize there are going to be people who think that this is predictable. There are always going to be people who think, no, this is kind of outside of the scope of what is realistic. But you want that sweet spot where the majority of your audience, whoever you think your audience is, ought to be, is, etc., going to believe that this was possible. And even if it wasn't the choice that the audience would make in the writing or what they hoped it would be, that they're going to continue to go along for the ride and continue to follow what's going on. The only thing I'd say to that is I might quibble only with the terminology, I'd say you're not really going for believable. You're trying for not unbelievable. If you actually sit down and try to logic through the different things that have happened, there's no way that somebody wouldn't have gone to the bar and gotten some of these people disbarred by now. But if you, you just want to avoid the unbelievability factor. I think we're all in agreement with that when it comes down to it. With season six, please continue to listen to the series number one and also to Tell your family and friends to listen to it as well. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes, there is a plan for a season six. I have not started writing anything. I don't even have a general outline right now. I just have lots and lots of thoughts. Of course, I was trying to pare down what it is that I want to accomplish this season and do I even want to accomplish that. Because as exciting as it is to keep writing seasons, it takes longer to plan because, oh, I need to go back and review all previous seasons, starting with the most recent 
to determine if that is reasonably consistent with the character, or is that too far in the suspension of disbelief? So what, you mean you don't have a series Bible? <laughs> uh, no, no, there is no series Bible for this, unlike, and I know you probably mentioned that because the Machinima series that you and I were involved with, and can you believe this, DC, it was more than 10 years ago, it was 11 years ago that we started that, actually, that it had a series Bible from the beginning. It was much more prescribed than this, but no, there is no Bible or otherwise. Translation, Dan is completely pantsing it. And Pedro is completely shortsing it, apparently, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's rocking the shorts. <laughs> Riding by the seat of your pants instead of going by, oh, I must do this thing, then this thing, then that thing. It's a perfectly acceptable way to write. Yes. <laughs> I don't do it that way most of the time, but it can be fun to do it that way. And it works better for producing episodic content anyway. Yes, and that's certainly what we're dealing with here. But at the same time, I want there to be arcs in the story. So if anyone's familiar with Star Trek, I'm just going to refer to it. I like it to be more like Star Trek Deep Space Nine than Star Trek The Next Generation, even though I love Star Trek The Next Generation, that what happens in not just an episode, but what happens in a season is not only referenced to for the sake of referencing, but the character has changed for better or for worse and acts that way and speaks that way in consideration of that. And I always try to have the occasional callback to that previous seasons, even if it's, why is the character saying that out loud? Mostly that's actually for the audience's benefit, even though Max is the only one that realizes that they are part of episodic content. Uh. <laughs> Occasionally the others have these moments and they go, no, 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 no. Yeah, someone this season was talking about episodic content. I think it was like uh, Hudson. Yeah, it was at the beginning. Bit of monologue. What is your one wish for the character you voice, or for the case of Canis, a character in One More Turn Season 6? I hope that we get some improvement from Riley, because she could be a compelling character and a likable character if she just wasn't so self-centered. You've said that very diplomatically. As you were describing it, <laughs> I was about to say, so see, Riley, there's your head and there's also your ass, and the two really should not be in contact with one another. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That cranial rectal removal. Uh, so I guess it just continues on. Speaking of this particular character, Riley. Speaking uh, of Riley. And when I say girl? character, I just don't mean character. I mean character. <laughs> what is your one wish for her in season six? Straighten her shit out. What the? Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> okay. You see, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you get where I'm going. <laughs> Yes, I, I do. I think so. <laughs> I should stop swearing. Well, you haven't really even started, Mackie, so oh, I don't know why yeah, you would stop. You, know. you haven't even started. Gosh. But I was actually expecting to say, dump the daddy substitute. I, I really was. That too. But, that's that's a good start. <laughs> even though, you know, she's the one that pursued that relationship in episode 511 when Gary's like, why should we be still dating anyway? We should be married now. Which is... <laughs> and you heard Riley's reaction, which is... Yeah. And then, of course, there also is, in the course of the argument, Gary's like, well, I think what my love is getting at here is, and then Riley's like, you love me? You've never told me that? Gary's like, then why did I agree with your notion that we move in together? I think in their relationship, it's, no, Riley hasn't said that she loves Gary. Gary has now said that he loves Riley, and this is why he moved in, agreed to move in together. But, of course, we know that that's not going particularly well, but I thought that was kind of an interesting Moment of, oh, I'm sorry, what what did you just say? My wish for my character, Hudson, in Season 6. Hudson, 
You need to keep your conviction, as you stated in the final episode. You need to take the steps to meet your biological parents without Caden's assistance or his involvement at all, really. I don't want a repeat of kind of the finality of dealing with Bella and then turn around and say, oh, but by the way, hey, Bella. Can you help me with this? Or I could just see, you know, Hudson coming back in after. We don't know exactly what happened right in that moment. But, like, have the first episode or maybe the second episode cut back to that very moment where he's just said that and he's leaving. Or he says, but since you're here, can you give me their number? You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. You're done. There's there's no more conversing about him whatsoever. If in meeting the biological parents, they say, we want Caden present, or we want to tell him about this, okay, then maybe that's something Hudson would do, because that's something that his parents want them to do. But short of finding himself in that situation, just stop dealing with Caden and make it clear that we're done. I don't know if that should be permanent, but at the very least for the immediate future, there needs to be that disconnect. They need to walk away. You just need to do it for yourself. Because clearly, this is something Hudson wants to do. He wants to meet biological parents, apparently. I wouldn't have blamed him if he was like, you know what? If this is what you're like, I can't imagine what they're like on top of the fact of why they gave me up for adoption in the first place. Although I think at this point, that's all Hudson really wants to know. He does not necessarily want to have any kind of a relationship with them, but he's looking for answers. And if Caden has the answer, which I don't think Caden does, but even if for some reason Caden had the answer, it's not worth all this other crap to continue to deal with that guy. And also, as an aside, don't have Riley involved with this anymore either. I mean, yes, she's the one that made it clear that you have this biological sibling, but given how Riley involves herself in things, given how you know her, that's all the more reason to actually not have her involved. And if everything else kind of fall apart around him, if Hudson could at least have that meeting with with those parents and get an answer, either by what they say or what they don't say, then he's going to be that much better off. What is your one wish for Max in One More Turn Season 6? Well, since finances seem to be on the mend with the twins' publicity, Max and Nora's relationship to keep improving, or at the very least, let's see uh, where it's going and just sort of move things ahead to a new arc. I mean, I think three seasons is good for an arc. At the end of season three, where there was the kind of wrap-up, hey, we're pregnant, yay, everyone be happy. And of course, everyone being pregnant being Max and Nora, that that was initially intended in my mind, that if I felt, plus as the voice actors and the other people involved in the production felt like, okay, this is good, we're done, it could end at that point, and it felt like a natural conclusion. Kind of like the first act in a play, right? That those reasons are kind of the first act in a play, and now we're kind of in the second act for the series. Sort of mirror the, uh, the Doe contract things with it, because in the first three seasons, everyone was really worried about the Doe contract, and then that ended well. And then I guess if you really wanted to really mirror it, pregnancy everything was worrisome and bad all the season oh and yes and pedro will continue to not be voiced by anyone because that's that's a thing and i know you like this reference in particular canis but i think it works as well he is the maris yes (laughs) i almost said that earlier this evening well we have come to the end of the season five commentary for one more turn I want to thank Dark Cloud I want to thank Makalua I want to thank Canis Albinus for joining me in this extended conversation no problem I always enjoy talking to creators of good things 
I'm sure Dan is willing to sell the scripts for a reasonable price to any local theatrical performance company that would wish to perform. Very reasonable price, too, actually. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I'd be willing to sign a copy as well for an additional fee. (laughs) Music by Kevin McLeod. Voiceovers by Jordan Lund. Visit the official One More Turn website at onemoreturn.net. Copyright Civilized Communication at civcom.net. Dan is going to use his evil editing powers to remove it, I'm sure. Yes. I don't have editing powers. Uh, what editing powers you speak of? Do, 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 do. Yeah, uh, sure, no editing powers. I'm not questioning the evil, just that. <laughs> yeah, there's that, too. One more turn.